kick this thing off. Um, and so everybody that doesn't have one of the handouts, um, if you just raise your hand and Rhonda will get you uh, a copy of that. Um, we're going to get started. When you get it, um, you can kind of look down at the bottom. I'm going to be reading out the different the different locations as I flip to it. Um, so you can just kind of jump there um, kind of follow along with me. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in the New Testament. We've got one, two, three, four, at least seven different times that we're going to be flipping. Um, so did everybody get one of these? Nobody's without? Okay, so that way you have something you can kind of take home with you. Um, so, so last week, kind of, we we were kind of discussing or began discussing uh, biblical inerrancy. What is it? We started kind of thinking about well, what is it not? What do we not mean by that? Um, I would encourage you if you want to if you miss that, jump back on the podcast. It, it's up there, um, so you can kind of kind of catch up. This week, I want us I want us to start off by asking the question: What did the New Testament authors? Um, what did they think about Scripture? Um, specifically the Old Testament, and how could we, like, what would be something that we would use to go about um, discovering what the New Testament authors thought in regards to Scripture and the accuracy of Scripture and what areas could we consider, like, what areas should we consider when we consider Scripture and the inerrancy of Scripture itself, I think one good place to do that is to look through Scripture itself. Like We can look at the New Testament. We can look at references that the New Testament authors made to Scripture. And we can see what did they think should be excluded or what, what like in... Specifically, kind of, we ended last week with this idea that there are some because of a fear that they might not be able to defend biblical inerrancy have kind of taken a step back from that and have said, well, maybe let's just say that it could contain errors, but it does not contain errors when speaking to things of faith, right? So, like, they've kind of a lot of people have softened their stance on this and and I think that there's some dangers in that specifically I think the danger that I at least see in my mind is that is that if you'll say that the Bible can could contain the error in one place then how are you going to accurately identify what that place is right like I think it's very difficult once you say that it could contain errors that it speaks truth here but not truth in the, in these areas, right? So, like, that's one thing that I would caution anyone who would who would soften their position on biblical inerrancy is that I would say that you're you're on a very very slippery slope from being able to defend any truth that you would put forward Scripture as having, right? So, I think, and one of the reasons that as we start examining Scripture itself, one of the places that we want to start is that that we hold that Scripture has no errors in it. So what do we mean by that? And that was kind of part of the discussion last week. And I want us to look today to see where, and this is where the references at the bottom of that sheet uh, kind of come in. I want us to look at in what areas did the New Testament authors feel like they could rely on um, 
Scripture uh, to get their understanding of, of historical events. So that's what I'm going to kind of we're going to be looking at, we're going to be looking throughout the New Testament. And where did the New Testament authors get their understanding of the history of Israel of all of these things? Well, of course they got it from Scripture, right? Scripture. We look in the Old Testament. We find a we find a lot of the historical events that happened in bringing the people of Israel to the place that they were, uh, uh, specifically at the time that Christ had kind of come on the scene, and the <clears throat> excuse me, the early church kind of blossoming out of that. So one of the questions that I want us to answer is: Did they feel like they could use Scripture as a trustworthy source of historical events? What we're not saying is that Scripture speaks on every historical event, right? But what we are saying is that if it speaks on a specific subject, that it speaks accurately, clearly, and without error, right? That's kind of the, that's kind of the stance that we, that we hold, and I believe that's the stance that the New Testament authors um, would hold as well. So today we're still kind of speaking about inerrancy. We're, we're kind of starting to tread into some of those areas when we start next week on what has the church historically held in this regard. This is what I would say would be an early early kind of glimpse into that because we're going to be actually looking at what did the apostles, what did the writers of the New Testament themselves specifically say? Like what did their actions tell about what they believed in regards to to the trustworthiness of Scripture itself. So we're going to kind of be shotgunning a couple of these because there's lots of different places that we can look. Um, So first let's look uh, Matthew, we're going to start Matthew and we're going to kind of progress through the early parts of the New Testament um, with this and just kind of book by book kind of kind of pushing through looking at different examples. Okay, so Matthew chapter 12 uh, is one place that we're going to look kind of first off. So I'm going to be starting in Matthew 12, 3. So look for the details that, that they're pulling out here knowing that they're getting this information. When they're getting this information, they're getting it from... Um, the accounts that they uh, trust in in the Old Testament. Uh, so Matthew chapter 12, verse 3, uh, He said to them, and note here that this is Jesus as well uh, saying this, He said to them, Have you not read that uh, what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the... Of the uh, ate the bread of the presence which... Uh, it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. So what we see here is a specific account. Now you can go and, and read this account in the Old Testament. So Jesus felt like it was trustworthy and he could make historical claims about things that happen in people's lives based on what Scripture said about them, right? So this is one one account, one example of this. If we progress on in chapter 12 down to verse 40, we'll see kind of the same thing taking place again. Um, so, and, and he gives a couple of different accounts here. So, uh, chap- Matthew chapter 12, verse 40, we're going to kind of be reading 40 through kind of 42, 40, yeah, through 42 there. Um, we'll stop and kind of look at the different things along the way. But again, I want you to note the, the, the details that he's pulling out, which he's pulling from uh, Scripture itself uh, to, to, to get this. So the idea being is that Jesus himself trusted the account of Scripture 
um, in specific detail. So verse 40 of chapter 12 of Matthew. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So specific account in Scripture. And Jesus believes that it's true and speaks truth. Now I want us to pay close attention to this too. Because when we see this specific account, right, like he's speaking to something that we would consider to be like, if that happened, that was a miraculous event that took place, right? So like a lot of people would say, well, there's a lot of stuff that's said in the Old Testament or there's lots of things that are there that it's like, you know, maybe it didn't happen like that or maybe, right? Like, yeah, like it's a fairy tale or something like that. One of the things that I want us to point out when we, when we kind of examine this is Jesus speaking of this event that would, that the only way that you could, that you could understand it would be that there was a, that there was something miraculous that took place speaks to it, not as some fairy tale, right? Not as some myth, but he's actually, he's actually making a claim here that what you're going to see in his life is what happened to Jonah, right? Like this is the, this is the link that he's making here. So I want us to get that. The trustworthiness of scripture Jesus has here in reference to this specific event in history, not a fairy tale, but something that actually happened, right? For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Verse 41, he continues on with this. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. So here again, like he makes a specific claim to history that you can find in the Old Testament. So what is that? That they repented, right? So he's making a historical claim based on his understanding and trustworthiness of Scripture that the people repented, right? Historical events that the Bible speaks to, it speaks to accurately. That's the thing that I want us to get out of this. Right? Verse 42, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Again, another historical event that you can go back in the Old Testament and you can find reference to. Jesus speaking to here, kind of just again, further shoring up this idea that Jesus Himself believed that, that Scripture spoke in any place that it spoke, it spoke accurately and clearly and that you could trust what it said, right? So, so kind of the idea here being, does Jesus Himself believe that Scripture is inerrant, that you can use it as a place of truth even in reference to historical events? Like, like does Scripture speak of historical things? Right? And can we trust that it speaks truthfully there? I think yes would be the answer that we would that we would give. Uh, so now flip with me to Luke chapter four. We're going to be looking at verses twenty five, twenty six, and twenty seven here. Uh, again, Luke, these these are the words of Christ. So I'll give you a second to get there. Luke chapter four, verses twenty five, twenty six, twenty seven. 
But I tell you that, but I, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up, three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Nahum, or Naaman the Syrian. So here we see a couple of different details. And I want us, I want us to see here too, again, the like... The specifics that he's relying on here, right? Like he's relying here. He, he doesn't just say that that an event happened, but he relies on the details given of that specific event. The heavens were shut up three years and six months, right? So like he's he's putting a lot of trust in the accuracy of the accounts that he's using, right? So that's one of the things that I want us to see here, specifically here in the words of in the words of Christ. These two different locations in the Gospels, um, we can see we can see um, a, a, a trustworthiness um, that Christ Himself finds in the accounts that are given, um, and uh, a, an understanding that the, that the details, even the minutia of those accounts, uh, are important, and that they are. Accurate, right? So that's something that I that I think is important for us to pay attention to, because the idea, like what we're trying to get out of our understanding uh, of of biblical, like our view of biblical inerrancy, is I believe that we should shape our understanding of the stance that we have on biblical inerrancy by what we see scripture doing right y'all see what we're doing here as we're kind of going through this process we're going to be next in luke chapter 17 um we're going to see another one of these accounts kind of just one verse of luke chapter 17 verse 29 uh, and it says but on the day and this again this is this is jesus's words here but on the day when lot went out from Sodom and fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Right? So specific event that took place. Jesus is saying here that, that the accuracy of the details that Scripture gives us for this can be relied upon. Right? So fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed Sodom. So that's another account where we can see uh, Jesus in Scripture making reference where the understanding to this event would have come from Scripture, right? Like he's relying on the accounts of Scripture to say these things, alright? So let's flip over now to the book of John. We're going to look at a, at a place in chapter 3 here. Um, John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. I'll give you all a second to turn there. And one of the things that I want us to, to take note in, in, in these as well is, is the significance that he's using these, these real events and tying them to real events, right? Like this is what like this is an important thing for us to get here, is that the realness on both sides, right? Like so like if we start backing away in some of these 
right? Like specifically, like like let's look at the 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 claim that Jesus is making here in John chapter three. We're going to look at verse fourteen and fifteen. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, and whosoever believes in him may have eternal life. Right. So Jesus is speaking to real events in history that you can see these events and trust them in Scripture itself, and then He's tying them to events that will come, events that we can now see in the New Testament, in fact, did take place. Christ was lifted up, right? So like a real event is what He's making claim to here um, when He makes reference uh, to... uh, to Moses lifting up the serpent, right? So I, I want us to I want us to get that. I want us to understand that. Um, so um, let's look over in chapter four. Um, so he came. No, excuse me. That's not. Sorry, let me flip to the next. Um, um, so flip with me now to the book of Acts. So we've kind of been progressing through the Gospels there. Um, let's flip now to the book of Acts. Flip to chapter 13. We're going to look at verse um, 16 here. You missed five. Yeah. Say that again. You missed four and five. John four and five. Oh, there we yeah. So yeah, so in John four five, so he came to a town so he came to a town of Samaria and called uh called Sychar near the field of Jacob at, uh near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. So a couple of things yeah, so this is John thanks, Mom. Um John chapter four, verse five. A couple of things that we can see from this. This specific one is not um the words of Jesus, but this is the New Testament accounting to events that take place. Um, and the so the the detail to take from this particular verse here is how would they know that this that that this place was uh, that this place had this this historic significance to it where he says near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph right so like when they when they make reference to this specific historic event to this specific location again like there's a trustworthiness of how do they know that well they know that because they can find reference to that in the Old Testament right like these are historical events in real places right like this is not something that was a that they're pushing back as some mythological thing or some fairy tale like like these are these are their ancestors, real ancestors, real people, real events, real historic significance, and they can trust the account that Scripture gives to the to to the accuracy of those. So that's John chapter four, uh, verse five, right there. Now flip with me over to uh, the book of Acts, chapter thirteen. Um, we're going to find a couple of different um, a couple of different accounts in this. Um, so. Acts chapter 13, I'm going to start in verse 16, um, and then I'm going to end in verse 23. So, Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, so this is, the, this is an account of what Paul said, and I want us to get the details of this, the reliance on uh, the the scriptures for these historical events that he speaks of. Okay, so men of Israel, you who fear God, listen. 
The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. Again, historical accounts here. And with, and with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. So the, 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 the reliance on the scriptures speaking to the history of Israel, living in Egypt, the exodus out of Egypt, um, verse 18. Uh, and for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. So again, we see details not excluded. These details would have come from the accounts of the Old Testament, uh, verse 19, and after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, so again, very specific in the details, the number of nations destroyed, like relying on Scripture for these details, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. Again, specific details, right? All this took about 450 years, and after that he gave them judges, until Samuel the prophet. So right, so like he's taking all that scripture says and he's using it for like to make real claims to historical events here, right? So after them came the judges, until Samuel the prophet, then they asked for a king and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish. Again, where would he have gotten this information? He's getting this information from scripture a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I found in David the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, whom, who will do all my will. Right? So, so we, even, we even find here a mixing, mixing in of the historical events to actual quotes of what God said. Where are they getting these details? Where is He getting these details? Right? He's getting them from Scripture itself. So, so I think that, that it would be safe to say that as Luke here is writing the book of Acts, is accounting this event of what Paul said, that there is a trustworthiness of Paul to the historical accuracy um, to, to all that took place, a, a trust and reliance on Scripture as a source of truth, words that could be trusted, um, even in even in the quoting of what God said in speaking to uh, speaking uh, about David. So, verse twenty-three of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as He promised. Again, all of this, like leading up, uh, ultimately, all of history itself. Pointing to uh, pointing to Christ, um, and I think that's something that's that's something that's important to take away here. So that's that's out of Acts. If we flip to uh, the book of Romans, flip with me now to the book of Romans. We're going to look at a couple of different places, uh, a couple of different places here, um, and then uh, the Romans will probably be where we. What time? How much time we're we working with? So we got a couple of minutes. So um, here's what I'm gonna here's what I'm gonna do. Um, we're gonna read the we're gonna read specifically the events that we find here in Romans, and then I'm gonna kind of give you a highlight of what has taken place. Um, kind of the rest of the scripture that we've that that, that I've gotten written down there. Gonna kind of give you the high points of those. So, uh, it'll be kind of homework, I guess, for you all to go. <laughs> Go and get these get these details, um, but I would say go back and fact check. That's a, that's a good thing to do. Um, so in Romans chapter four, um, 
Let's look at verse 10 first. So chapter 4, verse 10. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of the circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. So here what we find is Paul making a, a, making a reference back to Abraham. Um, in this specific example, like he's using this for like some like signif- like he's going to be making significant points from this, right? Like that's what he's doing here in in chapter four when he's making references to Abraham. Like he wants to give some specific points that are like that are deep theological points, right? That are significant points for what we believe and what we hold to the work of Christ. To be about right, and he's he's doing that. He's basing that understanding off of his off of what has happened in history. Again, he's getting his history from Old Testament scripture here. Um, and so, this specific account, like the the timing, is critical here, right? So, the details are important to them, um, and they and and he feels as though he can trust the details that scripture gives him. So, um, again, this is for us to kind of build up our understanding. What did the New Testament authors? believe uh, how did they believe they could trust scripture so um, verse verse 19 of chapter 4 of the book of Romans um, we're going to find another uh, another uh, thing here so um, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body this is speaking of Abraham here which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old again notice the detail notice the detail and that the, that there there's no fear in the New Testament authors in referring to scripture to get detail the minutia is not off the table for them when they reference it right so even the significance of of, of like dates and times and years like these are things that they feel as though they can that they can rely on and that that are trustworthy so so since he was was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb, um, no unbelief made him waver considering the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith, and he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. Again, so all of this, like there's a, there's the, the idea that, that these truths that they are relying on Scripture to give them are foundations for which they're building their understanding of what took place in the work of Christ, right? Like that's that's a significant thing for us to take away here. And if we were to do away with those or if those if those foundations were to be eroded, then it's not hard to imagine that all of those things built on top of those foundations would crumble, right? Which is why for us it's important for us to take the same view of scripture that they had of scripture. Or we may find it a a an increasingly difficult task to defend the things that we believe while doing away with some of the more foundational understandings that our forefathers and our predecessors um, have held to, right? So um, so let's go now to um, Romans chapter 9. We're going to be looking at uh, verse 10 through 11. This will be the last... Um, the last one that we jump to, the rest of them will just kind of, uh, I'll, I'll make reference to them and, and I'll leave it to you all to go back and, and dig through. So Romans chapter 9, 
verses 10 through 12. And not only so, so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our father, our forefather Isaac, uh, though they were not yet born, had done nothing either good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of the works, but because of him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, have loved, Jacob uh, I loved, but Esau I hated. So we find two references to Scripture here um, being used. Um, one thing that I want us to take note of is even like the even the ordering of birth, right? Like the child that was born first, they're twins. So they were literally born on the same day, moments apart from each other. But the ordering of the births, Paul here feels like he can make reference and make significant, significant theological stances based on those, right? So that's so. So do the New Testament authors trust Scripture and the trustworthiness of Scripture? If I ask you that question, from what we've just read thus far, what would you say? Absolutely. Absolutely. They believe in the trustworthiness of Scripture. So let's continue. I'm just going to kind of go quickly over. So if you were to go to Romans chapter 11, verse 2 through 4, you would see a reference made to Elijah speaking with God. Um, the people of Israel passed through the sea. They ate and drank um, spiritual food and drink. They desired evil, sat down to drink, rose up to dance, indulged in immorality, grumbled, were destroyed. Like these are all details that you could get if you were to go and look at 1 Corinthians uh Chapter 10, uh, specifically verse 11. Um, Abraham gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. Um, in Hebrews, we're going to find a ton in Hebrews. Okay, so that's Hebrews chapter uh, 7, one and, verse 1 and 2. The Old Testament tabernacle and all of the details around the, the Old Testament tabernacle. We find Hebrews chapter 9 making reference to these. Um, Moses sprinkled the people... Um, Moses sprinkled the people and the tabernacle vessels with blood and water using scarlet wool and hyssop. Like these are some some details that we find in Hebrews chapter nine nineteen through twenty one. Um, the world was created by the word of God. Hebrews chapter eleven verse three. Um, one thing that that would be worth doing um, would be going through Hebrews chapter eleven as a whole, right? Like this is kind of the the whole of faith. Like go through Hebrews chapter seven, seven as a whole. Look at the details that you find in Hebrews chapter uh, 11. Details about the lives of Abel. So we're talking about rolling back all the way, right? All the way. And the details are important. The details matter. And the details are trusted by the New Testament authors as being accurate and true. So details about Abel, Enoch, Noah. So like, I mean, we find Noah, Abraham, Moses, Rahab, um, and so many others. Like, there's there's so many that you can find there in Hebrews chapter eleven. They would probably be worth spending um, spending time just on Hebrews chapter eleven alone. Um, Esau selling his birthright. Uh, you can find reference to that in Hebrews chapter twelve, verse sixteen and seventeen. Rahab with the spies. You can find that uh, James chapter two, verse twenty-five. <clears throat> Eight people, so again, details, eight people being saved in the ark. First Peter chapter 3 verse 20, also Second Peter uh, chapter 2 verse 5. God turned Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, but saved Lot. You would find that in chapter 2 of, or, uh, in, in Second Peter chapter 2, uh, 
uh, verses six and seven. Um, so here's another. Here's a, this one's an this one's an interesting one because this one will be one of those who be like, really, man, are you serious? So in Second Peter chapter two verse sixteen, you you find uh, the trustworthiness of Balaam's donkey speaking is <laughs> trusted. Right? So like, what did they believe? Like, are, are there any details that the New Testament authors, even like, here's the thing, cause like, whenever I think about the donkey one, I'm like, of all the things that seem super far-fetched, like, that one seems pretty far-fetched, right? But, but the point being, what did they believe about Scripture? They believed it. They believed it. And they believed it to be accurate, and they believed it to be truth-worthy and trustworthy, right? And they were so close to, in time, to the fulfillment, and had they, you know, like, I guess Jesus opened their eyes to the Scripture, the apostles, yeah, absolutely. and the disciples, and then, and then, but Paul is the one that always astounds me, because, like, he was a, he was a student of the law, and then... So when God opened yeah. his eyes with the light and he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he he was like, Whoa, this is everything I've yeah. seen all my life. Yeah. This is this is who yeah. this is about. And that just like Yeah brings it all like that's the miracle oh, of the earth is that we finally realize that it's it's all been about Jesus the whole yeah. time. Yeah. So one of the one of the big takeaways that I want us to take away from today specifically, one of the reasons that I felt like it was important for us to look at the look at, a, at, at accounts in Scripture, especially when we consider what we hold when we consider Scripture and the trustworthiness of Scripture. Specifically, does Scripture contain errors? Is I wanted us to look at the way that the New Testament authors trusted the Scripture that they had, mm-hmm. right? That they felt like even these like animals speaking, they trusted Scripture's account of that as being trustworthy, right? So when they considered Scripture, they considered every detail to be truthful. Every detail to be trustworthy. Every detail to be significant, Right? And that's where we should stand. Right? We should take their example to ourselves when we consider Scripture. Right? Can we trust Scripture in all of the details? Even the smallest of details? Is it trustworthy? This is significant. I want us to consider, and one of the reasons, so like if you were to be going through the systematic theology book, this study that we've done on inerrancy is actually flipped with what's, what they do. With, they, he, he covers the authority of Scripture and then the inerrancy of Scripture. I actually wanted to do it in reverse because I think that, that, a, that a proper understanding of the significance of the inerrancy of Scripture is critical when we start considering Scripture's authority as it speaks to us. Because if you believe that it can be wrong, then the authority that, can, that it will have over your life is negligible. You won't trust it. You won't see it as significant even in the smaller details. But if you trust Scripture to speak truthfully where it speaks, even in the fine-grained details of it, then when it speaks to you and commands you to things, 
the authority of Scripture will weigh on you. Right? So we're going to be speaking uh, next week. We're going to kind of go into the churches, kind of how the church has understood uh, inerrancy throughout history, and then uh, the following week we will um, we'll jump into the authority of Scripture. Um, if there's any questions along the way with any of this stuff, um, feel free to hit me up after class or you know ask questions. Just feel free to ask questions. I think it's important. Uh, that this, that especially this one, because this is going to be this. These ideas are going to be foundational as we start digging into um, the rest of this study. So, uh, let's close out.